Welcome back to Misunderstood. I'm your host, Rachel Yucatel. So as you guys know by now, I'm fascinated by true crime stories. I really become obsessed. It's all I want to talk about. I have a million questions and I always think I can solve it. Do you guys ever feel like that? Well, today's guest is Susan Hendricks. You may know her because she's like the OG of HLN and CNN. Um, she didn't always do true crime, but you know, she obviously had to cover some crime stories. And um, she ended up writing a book about her experiencing and her experiences covering one of them. The book is called Down the Hill: My Descent into the Double Murder in Delphi. And it details the murders. Um, of two young girls, Abigail Williams and Liberty German, the investigation that followed and how the town and the family were forever changed. This book is part true crime and part memoir as this case became personal to her and telling the stories of these two families became her mission. On February 14th, 2017, the bodies of Abby and Libby were discovered on a bridge in Delphi, Indiana. Not on the bridge, but kind of behind the bridge. As the investigation unfolded to bring the killer to justice, the story got extensive media coverage. Law enforcement released a video and audio recording found on one of the victim's phones that they believed to be of the killer. A man's voice said, guys, down the hill. And a grainy photograph of a man with his head down was circulated. Later, they ended up um, putting out a more extensive video of him walking across this bridge. They ended up asking for the public's help. And the tips started to flood in, but to no avail. After years of sketches, false starts, and questioning numerous subjects, they were no closer to finding the culprit. Then on October 26, 2022, a suspect whose name was not recognized, not floated before, Richard Allen, who ended up, um, we came to find he had worked at the CVS in that same town. He was taken into custody and charged with the murder of the two girls. He's pled not guilty. And for a year, there's been like total chaos. First of all, we know he pled not guilty. And for a year, there's been total chaos since he's been arrested. So at some point, we've had word that he's had actually admitted to the crimes in conversations from prison with his wife. Um, but, he, you know, he has not said this publicly at all. We don't know anything from his mouth. It's just sort of hearsay. Um, he's gotten his trial moved to 2024 because in 2023, they had all sorts of issues going on. His court appointed attorneys ended up being removed by the judge. And now in January of 2024, there's going to be a hearing to see if he can get those court appointed attorneys reinstated and possibly the judge removed. Um, I don't know how they're going to deal with, um, you know, getting a fair uh, jury because the case has become so big and so much has gone on around it. So anyways, get ready for an engrossing conversation with Susan. We really talk about the details of the case, what we know, what we still don't know, and how this case became personal to her. I think you guys are going to take interest in this because the case isn't over yet. You know, it hasn't gone to trial. It was such a big deal when it happened. And then there was just not a lot of movement. And to hear the story of the families involved is what becomes important because you really rarely hear from that side. Um, you always hear about who might have committed the murder or the girls themselves, um, details about them. But it's interesting to get the perspective of someone who is covering it and someone who got close to the families. So her relationships with all these involved, from the families to the law enforcement, it gives us a firsthand look inside this dramatic story. So please sit back and enjoy my conversation with Susan Hendricks.
Susan, thank you so much for joining me on Misunderstood in Boca. Thank you for flying in. I so appreciate it. It's so good to be here. I feel like I haven't seen you in a long time. And I know that um, you follow true crime, obviously, mm -hmm. and I follow your show. So it's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. Well, it's funny because the last time I saw you and the only time I really met you was at your wedding. At my wedding. Which is so random. And I was invited by someone I had known from Vegas. And it's actually embarrassing. I can't even remember the poor Doug. guy's name. Doug. Doug. That's right. <laughs> Hi, Doug. Um, but he was so kind, and I had known him in Vegas very, like, peripherally, like, yeah. not at all. And somehow I got invited to your wedding. It was such a fun event, but it was, like, this very weird, random invite because we really didn't know each other. I've gone to weddings like that yeah. before. Which so, were really yes, fun. They're fun. But yeah. oddly enough, like, I had no connection with him, really, so mm -hmm. that was what was uncomfortable. I feel, I feel like I connected more with you and your husband or mm -hmm. the people at the wedding, and he was, like, face down drunk by the end of it so <laughs> that's all I remember Sorry, Doug. and okay. I don't think I ever spoke to him yeah. again but I really like him I think he's a great guy but I was a I'm so glad that you went because yeah. I was able to meet you yes yes it was great um okay so I want to get into this book that is out that you've written but before we get into that I really want to know you know people when they look at you recognize your face and recognize your voice and feel so comfortable with you because you've been doing this for so long but rarely do we know the person behind who we're always looking at and getting our news from and that we trust so much so my first thing for you is I want to know how you got into this because I feel like people think they know you but they don't. And that's a good question. I, I was in college, and I think maybe it's evolving and changing. I hope so, that you have to have it all figured out when you're mm -hmm. that age, and I didn't. Uh, I was at Arizona State, and my roommate, though, was in the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, and I was signing up for the next semester classes, and I ended up taking a communications course with her because she was in it. And the more courses I took, the more I started to think, I could do this, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And Walter Cronkite, when I was in college, came to speak and it was a packed room, of course. He didn't have to necessarily be in that class, but for me to hear him and for him to talk about uh, being a part of history, and I know my grandmother, I mean, everyone, there were like yeah. four channels and mm -hmm. that's what you had to watch. And I remember uh, witnessing when he announced that the president was dead and that hooked me in, in yeah. terms of being a storyteller and being able to be a part of history. Right. But I read in your book that you were essentially really shy. Oh, extremely up. shy. Yeah. Right. So I'm giving you the college. That, <laughs> okay. So that's what I knew what I wanted to do. Did I know that I could do it? No. Mm. And it was so strange because growing up in New Jersey with my parents and their friends and growing up with their kids, uh, my mom's good friend's son said to me, I didn't know you were at CNN. I didn't even know you could talk until you were 10 <laughs> because I hid behind my mom's leg and my older sister is very outgoing. Mm -hmm. So I was able to kind of hide behind her. Yeah. I, I was an introvert and shy and would open up once I really got to know people. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, then why would you go into that field? Well, I soon realized that it's very different than public speaking. Yeah. Once you get used to doing it, initially it's really just an innate object that you're talking to the camera and connecting mm -hmm. and by no means was I good out of the gate I mean my first job was at, at a cable station in California and the first story was lawn bowling at a retirement center and I thought I made it I'm on TV I made it it's lawn bowling and I still have those VCR tapes with my eyebrows and a suit. Yeah. I was dressing the part. It was like 110 degrees, I remember, mm -hmm. in Palm Springs, the KSQ affiliate as a reporter. Mm -hmm. And I was out there ready to go dress for the part. 
um, but had a lot of learning to do. Right, right. And are those things in the field, was it mostly you had to ad lib? Were you writing your own stuff back then? Usually breaking news. So if there was a fire that broke out, they sent you and a photographer in the news van and then you were on. And that's where I really, I enjoyed that. It's the adrenaline of of telling what's happening behind you and being able to interview people there on the spot. So a lot of breaking news. And then if it was a slow news day where there were some, they'd send me to a council meeting I remember go find a story to council meeting uh-huh. and if you're not familiar with council meetings they can argue about someone's fence and having it be an inch over them where it should be for hours oh, so it really is with limited resources unless there were breaking news stories yeah um, the ability to tell a story mm. and I remember a colleague of mine as a reporter he had been there a while I was new and nervous we went to a council meeting and I said well no one's here no one's here, let's go. And he said, well, isn't that the story? Mm. Don't always expect to go in and see the obvious story. What's the nuance here? What is the story? Why aren't people here? And so that taught me a lot to say, look at things differently when telling a story. Right. So how did you find yourself at HLN and CNN? Hmm. I was in Palm Springs at the KESQ affiliate, and then I was a morning anchor at the NBC affiliate. And they asked me before I was hired, it was the competing station and it kind of is like that movie Anchorman, where they want to pull you from the, uh, the competing stations. Uh-huh. Have you anchored? I said, somewhat. And I, I, was, I was lucky that I was given that opportunity. But it was a morning show, three hours a day, every day, um, with a guy, Gina Lamont. He's yeah. still there. He's now at the CBS affiliate. And we still keep in touch. It's mm-hmm. funny. And my first day putting on a mic, they said, Mike, check Susan. And I'm yelling at the top of my lungs. He's <laughs> like, shh. And I thought, oh, my gosh, here goes learning. And I was brutal out of the gate. And then you just had to get comfortable in your surroundings. And it's also really hard to read a teleprompter. It is not for me now, but it is then. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And everything made me nervous. I wasn't comfortable on the set in that area. I was more comfortable at that time in the field. Mm -hmm. So that, that was my kind of safe space to be away and doing breaking news. But then... I got this opportunity and I thought, okay, this is where I can be more myself a bit mm-hmm. because I know that well-meaning news directors and, and people who are consultants would say, just talk to the camera like it's your mom. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that really mean? And it's funny, I, I've gotten to know uh, Sanjay Gupta through the years, mm-hmm. working with him for years, and we were talking in the makeup room of all places, and I told him that story and he said, well, that's funny, Susan, because he literally is, as you know, a brain surgeon, yeah. just a genius, but he said, I didn't know what I was doing and they told me to have more energy on the air and so he just kept smiling and talking really loud right and they're like stop smiling in his ear it's not funny so you don't really know it's really what they're saying is the advice is be comfortable in your own skin yeah and that's all that takes is reps and time Mm -hmm. I don't think you do it out of the gate how can you right exactly um so how did you get into true crime and that being something that you started to cover more is that something you liked to cover you found interesting and as you know a story is a story no matter who you have on your Mm -hmm. podcast they all have something to say or something to tell a story from experience and HLN was going in that direction. Right. I started when it was headline news, and then I was on Anderson Cooper's show for years doing cut-ins. And as soon as the Casey Anthony case hit, that is when we did wall-to-wall coverage. Right. I mean, you were watching it. It was unfolding. We knew all the attorneys' names, of course, Jose Baez, the opening statements. To me, 
it appeared as though, and it was, and I think that started back with O.J. Simpson in that trial. Yeah. Meaning people were glued to see what would happen, to understand, to have an opinion. Did right. she do it? Did she kill her daughter? And th the numbers kept coming in. Right. People were watching, and Nancy Grace was at the network, mm -hmm. and we had uh, we practiced beforehand in terms of what we would do. We were on verdict watch when the verdict came down, and we knew to throw to Nancy Grace because she was there in the field. Right, and, and she was known for covering known, top mom. Yes, yeah. top mom yeah. at the top of her lungs. I watched every night. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so my mom, her friends, I mean, what do you think? And, yeah. and then her parents on the stand, and it just really unbelievable as it was unfolding. It turns out the verdict came in when I was, when I was on the air. And they said, wow. go to Nancy, go to Nancy, it's in. So I throw to Nancy Grace, and she says, we have a verdict. And we listened into the courtroom, not guilty. Financial anxiety, anyone? Worrying about it does not help. Earnin does. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Earnin makes it so easy to. All you have to do is download the app and verify your paycheck. It's that simple. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. Earnin empowers you to live life to the fullest, no mandatory fees and no credit check. You can join over three and a half million customers when you make Earnin a part of your financial routine. When I use Earnin, I get very excited because I have extra money to go on a much needed girls' night out, use it for a last minute gift for the holidays, or an unexpected trip to the vet, which just happened last week. So download Earnin today, spelled E A R N I N, in the Google Play or App. Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in understood under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Understood under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This holiday season has been jam-packed. There never seems to be enough time in the day to get everything done. Something always falls to the wayside, and usually getting a good meal is the thing that suffers. I started using Factor, and I cannot tell you how much I love it. I get healthy meals, and it saves me so much time. I can actually do my errands, take care of my daughter, and enjoy all the holiday events. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. You can eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. There are so many great things about Factor. There's no grocery shopping, no chopping, no prepping, no cleaning up. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals get delivered straight to your door, and all you have to do is heat them up for two minutes and enjoy. The food is delicious, and they give you so many choices. There's Calorie Smart, Vegan and Veggie, Protein Plus, a ton more, something for everyone. And when you are on the go, they offer so many add-ons like shakes, smoothies, and juices. They think of everything so you don't have to. So I just opened my box yesterday, and I have to tell you, this, the shakes are really my favorite. I'm so excited about them. They taste so good. I'm excited to use these meals. They're so quick and everything tastes so fresh. I'm telling you, it's never frozen. So it doesn't have that like frozen aftertaste at all. It's really good, you guys. My favorite thing is I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to go to the store. I don't have to prep food. It literally comes in a box and I don't have to burn anything. 
I literally almost burned the house down the other day making cookies. So this really saves you a lot of hassle. You decide what you want to eat. You open the package, you heat it for two minutes and you are done. Honestly, every meal was delicious. The pasta, the grilled chicken, even the vegetables tasted fresh and they were amazing. So head to factormeal.com slash understood 50 and use the code understood 50. That's understood five zero to get 50% off. That's code understood 5050 at slash understood 50 to get 50% off. Enjoy you guys. It was just stunning. What did you think when they, did you expect that? Well, I'm luckily my father's an attorney. So I would call him and say, what do you think? What do you think of this? And what's this called? Or what's that called? My cheat sheet, if you will. And he said, well, I think they might be overcharging her. So if you, that's a risk. And that's what I think happened. If you risk going for the death penalty, or if you risk, you risk them finding her not guilty because of that. Now, I don't know for sure, but I, and I don't know what to think. It's hard when we found out that the body was discovered, that there was duct tape on skeletal remains. So it's like, was this, there's different opinions out there. Was this, and her giving her daughter chloroform Mm -hmm. to go out at night, but then why the duct tape was this premeditated? Did she even do it? There are opinions out there. it was unbelievable. And I threw it to Nancy Grace and she said that famous line now, the devil is dancing. The devil is dancing tonight. Right. I mean, it was infuriating for her because yeah. she believes that Casey got away with murder. She had such an opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely know exactly where I was when that verdict came in. I watched that that trial. I watched before the trial. Of course, I had my own opinion. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I was more stunned during those opening arguments or whatever yeah. that Jose Bias did and he changed the entire narrative. Yes. That was crazy to me. Yes. What I also has have thought um you know since then I keep I always think about the parents like why did the father never say that's not what happened. Right. I didn't do these things. I didn't sexually molest my daughter, you know, or the granddaughter, whatever they were alluding Remember to. That. And she was found in the pool the way yes. he presented that. Right. And I've learned through the years then being a perfect example, you don't necessarily have to prove right. what's said in the opening statement. Right. So where was the proof that that happened? And also that case was such a, you know, a testament to you can be guilty, but there's a way that you have to prove you know, it's you have yeah. to prove the, the case. Yeah, beyond a reasonable doubt yeah. is the reasonable doubt. Yeah. And I think what really fascinated the viewer, and myself included, were the jailhouse calls mm-hmm. to her parents. Yep. Just there was so much there. Yeah. And, and the, the behavior. The lies, yeah. the constant lies. Remember that uh, police officer followed yeah. her to a fake job that she never had? Right. So right. what else is she lying and about? And as a parent, not... Mm-hmm asking daily where is my daughter I need to find my daughter she was more worried about everyone's perception of her or you know so the media definitely portrayed her in a certain way but she did it on her own in my opinion I felt bad for her mother yeah and because she's the one that that called the authorities and said my daughter's trunk it smells like a dead body right if that doesn't point to Casey I don't know what does right but then she kind of seemed to do an about face right and then kind of didn't you know, stand up for the granddaughter. And said, oh, I did the searches. Right. I think in a way protecting her daughter. Yeah. Which right. we do see. But I really uh, felt sorry for everyone involved here, of course, mm-hmm. um, her daughter being killed. But the father, too, I think he fell into a depression after that, of course. Who I'm wouldn't? sure, yeah. With the, specula- with the right. lies, the blatant lies. I say lies because were they ever proven? Right. But I did think it was weird, as I said, that he's never come out and declared this was not 
true and mm-hmm. in a more in a way that we all wanted him to yeah, kind to of say, you right. know yes. so anyway so obviously there are so many cases over the years that I'm sure struck a chord with you and you got involved in how did this case that you wrote a book about the Delphi murders how did that come into your orbit at yeah, the beginning and after Casey as you know mm-hmm. we followed the Jody Arias trial of course yeah with Who Travis did? Alexander and it, it did make me reflect now after writing the book thinking back to Travis Alexander's sisters mm-hmm. and the family it's it's usually lost in the headline yeah. of Casey Anthony of Jody Arias of OJ Simpson uh, found not guilty but it, mm-hmm. it's it's the names of the accused or the convicted and rarely is it the family so yeah. i was sent to Delphi i remember covering it on the set and interviewing Ron Logan the man who owned the property where the bodies were found mm-hmm. so I covered it there, and then they said, hey, we're sending you. This is about almost two years later. And I thought, oh, yeah, we cover so many cases that I thought, oh, that's the one with Libby who recorded the phone call. And early on, we called it Snapchat murder. So that's when everything changed for me when they assigned me that story. Right. And so, but up until then, it wasn't something that was eating away at you. And I mean, it was like any other story where I know as a former journalist, you know, you get so many stories that come in, you really have to compartmentalize and you kind of have to end it when you end it and move on to the next one, not only to protect yourself from really getting invested, but because there's just so much of that coming in at you and you kind of forget by the end of the day, you've sort of forgotten what you've reported. And the news cycle, as you know, it, it keeps churning and it keeps going. Yeah. And I had to say, oh, what? What story is Delphi? Oh, yes, with Libby and her family. And then I was reminded of the interview I did with Ron Logan Mm -hmm. and going there with a producer and spending two days there and meeting Libby's mom, Mm -hmm. uh, Libby's grandfather, Libby's grandmother. It it really changed my perspective. And I got close with them. It didn't happen immediately. I was doing the interviews and then we went back and then they asked me to speak with them on a panel to host a panel for them. So slowly but surely, I got close to them in a way that I hadn't been able to get with other families, whether it be for time constraint, right. meaning you fl- the news keeps going, mm-hmm. keeps going, and I was never really there. I'd do a breaking story, and some people um, early on in my career would say, whatever happened to so-and-so? Well, rarely do we follow up mm-hmm. on stories unless they get tons of attention, and that that's the way the news cycle goes. And it's bothersome in a way because you don't really get to connect with the victims and the victims' families. And this was a time that I felt like I really did and had a story to tell from their perspective, Mm -hmm. not necessarily about, because we didn't know much throughout this crime. And uh, for those listening and for those watching, it's it's a bizarre case in terms of how little information was let out. And I know that the authorities, they all had in mind the same goal of finding this guy on the bridge that Libby was able to record. The secrecy or the lack there of information really alluded to a lot of speculation and even now conspiracy theories that that keep going. Well, I think what was interesting about them that you allude to in the book a lot of is that the the investigators there really wanted to just report on the facts Mm -hmm. and they did not want to report on things until they knew it. And that created a lot of armchair investigators, a lot of people speculating exactly what you're saying. But for people listening, can we step back a minute and give the scene? Can you give the background of exactly what this case was? Absolutely. It was February 13th, 2017, and Abby and Libby, best friends, 13 and 14 years old, Libby 14, um, Abby 13, uh, 
had the day off from school, it was a makeup snow day. Mm -hmm. And it was abnormally warm for Indiana. When I went there and I saw the bridge, it was about nine degrees. This day was in the 40s, but maybe felt a little warmer, right. maybe the mid to lower 40s, depending on who you ask at the time of day. And they asked Kelsey, Libby's sister, can you drop us off at High Bridge, is what it was called. It was an, an abandoned railroad track that was... Um, 62 feet high it's still there i mean when and you unsturdy looking oh right? my gosh it's terrifying yeah. it's terrifying when you see the video of the guy on the bridge it, it looks completely different obviously than it does in person so she drops them off she said to me susan i had been saying no a lot to driving her sister places yeah and she thought oh i don't want to be the mean sister okay all right i'll drive you but you have to get a ride home mm -hmm. from derek their dad it, yeah. she said okay so they got ready that day. They had a sleepover. Abby was there. Mm -hmm. um, I think up most of the night giggling, as girls do that age, mm -hmm. telling stories, spending time together. And Becky, Libby's grandmother, said to me, Susan, it was a way for them to be off electronics, you yeah. know, just to be outside. I mean, I grew up going outside all the time, but right. kids now don't necessarily have that opportunity, especially when it's so cold that time of year. Right. But going outside it seems like almost like a, a, a fun thing that yes. you normally wouldn't do. But there are, you know, also way, it wasn't that long yeah. ago, but it seems like in that place, it was safe to do something like that. Like yeah, I can't just let yeah. my daughter go off, especially in Manhattan, you know, and know. do oh, things. Oh, yes. Yeah. And even now, I mean, maybe it's because of the line of work I'm in, but obviously times have changed. Yeah. It's so different than, hey, come on when the streetlights go on. And yeah. that was, now I would be worried. No, of She's course. out of my sight for two minutes in Target and I'm concerned. Right. But this was very safe and it's what kids did yeah. and so kelsey drops them off they wave goodbye she says i love you here don't forget your jacket or your sweater mm -hmm. and that was the last time she ever saw them right. so she drops them off and they walk down it took us about when i visited the bridge about five ten minutes to get there from the trails mm -hmm. and um Authorities are piecing together what they know based on Libby's phone. So Libby took a picture of Abby, and it was time-stamped, posted it on Snapchat, and that's the last communication. Derek, her dad, went to pick her up a little after 3. She didn't show up, kept calling her, got out of his car, and apparently tried to walk and find them. Right. And so that chunk of time, we also know what happened because Libby – saw him and her grandfather mike was telling me look susan i think there was a vibe or creepiness she got mm -hmm. from him mm -hmm. and she took the video and hit record he was thinking that she would come home and say grandpa look at this guy yeah. look at this creepy guy on the bridge well that never happened right. and the phone was discovered near their bodies right. the, a search ensued soon after maybe you, you don't think the worst right away mm -hmm. especially a small town less than three thousand people but People started to search. They got together on Facebook. Very soon after, Very soon. it seemed, yeah. And then it was Before official. nightfall. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And then it was officially declared missing persons around, I think, 515, 530. Mm -hmm. Authorities are out there as well. Well, the search was called off, and there's been criticism of this, but I think it was officially called off because it's so dangerous down there. It really is. It's, it's dense. There's a lot of brush. can't really see. Um, but the family members did say to me it was so heartwarming to see so many flashlights and the glow of orange of people yeah, yeah. still staying. I mean, people searched overnight. And How come they didn't send it, out um, dogs? Uh, Sheriff Toblesenby told me when asked when I asked him about his biggest regret, he said it was canceling um, bloodhounds that were coming in from Michigan because this is such a small town. Oh, right, they didn't have Once them. their bodies were discovered, he called that off. He said, I wonder now in hindsight, you know, being open about 
what he thinks he could have done, but everyone goes back in time, coulda, shoulda, woulda, on what you think you should do sure. in that situation. But they never, Kelsey said, I never went there. Mm. Two young girls in the middle of the day murdered. No one went there. Right. Because this town was day. not known for crime. No, not at, at all. This time. And, yeah. and when you're there, it almost feels like a, a Pleasantville type mm. of place with small homes and they're separated by farmland. Uh, but it, it's just a place that you feel good being there. There's a main street. It feels right out of a, a storybook. And so no one really went there until, of course, their bodies were discovered that next day at noon by a searcher. How did this hit mainstream media? Like what made this case stand out? Um, was it because it was two young girls, do you think? I think so, and I think it was hearing this man's voice. Right. Where he said, down the hill. So how soon did they have this recording that they put out? They had it as soon as their bodies were discovered, but it wasn't put out. First, it was a still shot. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a sketch was released based on witnesses who were, who were there and saw a person walk by. So it was a sketch, um, a still picture, and then the audio of Down the Hill. Yeah. We didn't have guys. They added that in um, April of 2019, that extra word. Mm-hmm. But we do now know, in hindsight, we didn't for the longest time, that there were 42 seconds on that phone that she recorded. Right. Um, and based on court documents, it's alleged, because I haven't heard the recording, that Abby says something about, does he have a gun? So. I think that's what drew all of the attention were these two young girls putting yourself in their shoes or thinking it could be a daughter or someone you knew to be recording and to hear this man's voice. And that's when authorities said, we do believe the man on the bridge is the killer. So then the audience or the general public, everyone, they were pleading for their help with the sketch with the man on the bridge. And you would think a small town, less than 3,000, cut that in half. Let's say it's 1,000 men. And even less, a lot less in that age range, although it was broad, the age range, the the longer the investigation went on. Where is he? Mm -hmm. You see him on the bridge. You see what he's wearing. Yeah. But going there, I I had a different opinion from being on the set. I thought everybody here dresses like this. That's why. And the face is blurry. You can't see. Libby was far away. And then when she hit record, it was in her pocket. It was kind of muffled. But I think what they were hoping for and and believing in, which who would blame them, the authorities, is someone knows this guy. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's your dad. Let's say it's your brother. Someone knows who that is and will call in, and that call never came. Right. Never came. Well, and that, in my opinion, was such a good way to do it, but it's also such a local way probably yeah, yes, to do it, yes, right? That yes. is imploring for everyone's help. And that obviously backfired in some way because you got a lot of people, because now everyone's so into true crime, right? Mm-hmm. And they all think that they can come in and solve it with no credentials. Mm-hmm. And it started a lot of conspiracy theories. Yeah. That, do you think that that hurt the investigation at any point or uh, took hard, away credibility? It's hard to say because there's still things we don't know mm-hmm. in terms of what exactly led to to his arrest we have learned since so it had been um almost six years yeah and they had they had made some people that were the head of uh kind of who they were looking at right and they all one by one were never arrested right talk about that a little bit and a background of that here's an example when i first went there i I think i interviewed detective uh, jerry holman first in that office there's a sign that says be quiet the media could be listening Mm. i mean they that they were not saying a word in terms of cause of death. Even the family members didn't know. Mm-hmm. Mike did because he identified Libby's body, but wasn't saying much. The, the cause of death, of course, as I mentioned. So really nothing was being said. And um, 
Jerry Holman did say, look, there's no such thing as a cold case. And he said, we're on this, because that had been two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he mentioned that almost saying, Abby and Libby need you. If someone's capable of doing this, they could do it again. Sure. And pleading with the public. Now, I believe in hindsight, maybe they were just pleading to the person, a, a mom, a sister, someone, not necessarily everyone, the yeah. general public. Because people started putting up side-by-side pictures of people that Kelsey went to school with. Like, oh, look, it's him. It's the mm-hmm. sketch. Mm-hmm. And some of the tips uh, were bizarre in terms of no details. Like, it's my cousin Steve, <laughs> but he lives in Ohio. And that's it. Right. Or I saw this guy in a greyhound. He looks like the sketch. Right. So it kept them busy because they really did go through every single sketch. Right. And they kept saying, notice any differences after the murder. Has he gained weight as he started drinking or doing drugs, something off that's not really what that person would do, if so, call in. And with that pleading came in just countless tips. Right. Tens of thousands kept coming in of of random tips. So I remember they came back out and said, what is a good tip? Mm. This is, if you know where they live, why you think it's them, Mm -hmm. not just a gut feeling that you saw him on a greyhound because they really couldn't do much. But over the years, there were a couple people who yes, were sort of yes. lead suspects yes, or yes. whatever who all seemed, if you looked at them individually, guilt. they could have been guilty. Yeah. They all were very suspicious. And, and you could think, oh, well, he could be the guy in the yeah. bridge. I don't know. I mean, is it him? Right. And Why did they lie about the alibi? Yes. You know, there was all sorts of things, but weird, it doesn't make them a murderer. Weird kind of coincidences Mm -hmm. and this is what I stuck to and I I I felt bad throughout for law enforcement and the superintendent Doug Carter said look I know this is difficult and I can't say what I think happened I have to say what I know Mm -hmm. so it would come up I remember I was in Florida and I got a call that said inside edition wants to talk to you because I had met them there I've been there several times at that point I said well why and I believe it was it Daybell at that time so it would no I'm thinking of Another case. So it was Chad, I believe, who was, he was arrested because he was, a nine-year-old was in the neighborhood, Mm -hmm. and he assaulted her, Mm -hmm. uh, kidnapped her, put her in the basement. She was okay. Right. Well, it looked like he had a tattoo on his arm that could resemble Libby. So I texted Sheriff Tobe Lesenby and said, are you looking into him? Mm -hmm. We look into, it's very scripted, because at this time, the media attention started to grow and yeah. grow, and he was getting an influx of calls. And he said, we're looking into them just like we'd look into anyone. So they would never call them an official suspect, mm-hmm. but they would never say they weren't. Right. So they didn't leave anyone out, but yeah. they also didn't include anyone, which was even more vague. And Mike said something to me, because early on, uh, Daniel Nations, that name came up, and he said, I got my hopes up, and I was thinking this could be it, and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't want to ride that roller coaster, so I'm going to wait till they call me and say we got him, or right. someone's charged with that. So throughout, there was a lot of speculation. And, and even the guy you, you spoke about mm-hmm. earlier, uh, Ron Logan, was yeah. that his name, who yeah. owned the property? They looked at him for quite a while yeah. as well, right? There he was, seemed a little off. Yeah, and there were some leaked documents early on. Mm-hmm. Well, early on, the documents um, allowed for a search warrant on Ron Logan's property. That was soon after the murders, which you would assume that that's protocol because it was his property. Yeah. Um, But the documents were leaked later on, Mm. and that's when we started covering all of that. And apparently he lied about his alibi that day, but he did have some prior run-ins with the law. 
and right. was sentenced for driving on a suspended license. So the, the, almost I wonder if he has since passed away, sadly, of COVID, mm -hmm. but I wonder if the, if the lies or the cover-ups were for something completely different, it appears, obviously. Right. It does yeah. appear. and But that's why I was saying it doesn't make you a murderer, which you hear sort of used by defense a lot, that my yeah, yeah. client can be an asshole, that yeah. my client can be terrible, you know, as a husband, but does not make them a murderer or whatever. Yeah. But, um, so that's very interesting. All right. So talk to me now about how we got to Richard Allen. You said that a lot of people, it's not really known how they actually came about him being the the person that yeah. they arrested or what do you know about well, that? Well, soon after, and this is frustrating for a lot of people, including myself, thinking what he was there the whole time. Mm -hmm. Soon after the murderers, either that day or the next day, um, he made himself available. He came forward mm -hmm. to an officer who took notes. It wasn't in a police station. I believe it was a parking lot of a grocery store saying, I was there. I was on my phone looking at my stock ticker and looking at fish, mm -hmm. which sounds bizarre, but put himself there between 1.30 and 3.30. That since has changed, that timeline. But he put himself there, and whoever took the notes or took his, I guess, tip looked at him more like a witness. I, I, I'm speculating yeah. here. Because no one intentionally would not want to follow up on this. Right. And then that was put away. Well, where was it? Right. So we now have his name. And of course, it's not blaming one particular person. But something did happen. And Indiana State Police came out and said, look, it was a misfiling mm -hmm. by the FBI. Well, then the FBI came out and said it wasn't our misfiling. Mm -hmm. So you could tell there was some not as much cohesiveness yeah. as it appeared at first together in right. terms of their strategy. And it also so, seems, sorry to interrupt you, but it seems interesting to me because as if I was a journalist covering mm -hmm. that and there was even the slightest notion that there was some sort of a witness or someone who had claimed to be there, that would have been a guest I would have wanted to talk to, right? Get yeah. all their insight on what they saw that day and what it was like. He would have become famous just being yeah. on the scene. So the fact that we didn't hear his name really until he got arrested seems really interesting. And this and man odd. was a conservation officer. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, I don't know how much got that it. plays into exactly his experience remember how small the town was right and um the detective holman just a wonderful person and funny too when i first arrived there he said i'm not going to talk to you i don't feel like it i said okay and he said well that was easy and laughed i mean just really nice it, there was a good vibe there in terms of law enforcement and i really believe they truly obviously wanted to catch the person that yeah. did this but I, I think, obviously, they were in over their heads in terms of maybe there was too many tips. And what was the yeah. system? Literally a, mis a filing cabinet? Mm -hmm. Or was it just put in a, a database where it shouldn't have been? Yeah. And the detectives did say to me in law enforcement, if nothing comes of this, we're starting over sure. to the beginning. So I'm speculating here because we still don't know. Mm -hmm. Was it something they found later, or was it a tip from his wife? Married more than 20 years, daughter who was married, walked her down the aisle. Mm -hmm. Was it something that she called in? And innocent till proven guilty, there is a group out there who says wrong guy wasn't him. Mm -hmm. But to um, former cold case investigator Paul Holes, who I've gotten close to, who's solved the Golden State Killer, essentially, yeah. said to me, um, and there's a chapter on Paul and he talks about visiting the bridge and how he knew right away the guy was local mm -hmm. because of how casual he seems on that bridge. Yeah. I'm scared of heights. I couldn't even step on it. Right. There's gaps. I'm surprised nothing happened to kids, but they have no fear, right? Yeah, when they're right. down there and it's what they're used to. But that's a good point. What you're saying, the mm -hmm. way he was walking on it, he had clearly walked on it yes. before. And it's tough to find. It took us 15 minutes and yeah. the CNN photojournalists were like, we can't get arrested. It says private property. Mm -hmm. 
we'll meet you down there. And I was with Kelsey, and I walked alone ahead for a little bit, and it felt very dense. And I know because I knew what happened down there, yeah. but still it didn't feel like this open, airy trails that you may see in California. It mm. was very, it was secluded. I could see how this would be, and that is what Paul speculated to, and, and based on his knowledge and going down there, that he believes that that was the weapon, was the bridge, mm. meaning getting these girls to the other side where essentially they're trapped, telling them to go down the hill mm -hmm. and on Ron Logan's property. Therefore, no one coming from that side would hear you or see you or hear right. you scream. And if he had a gun, which they say he did, they found an unspent bullet mm -hmm. in between the bodies, of course they're going to be afraid. Because yeah. that was asked. How do you control two young girls? Easy, a gun. Yeah. I mean, maybe if... Yeah, I think I would listen to a, an adult with a gun yeah. and maybe not thinking the worst. Yeah. At this point, have they really confirmed their cause of death? I know we've seen that there's something with a sharp object, yeah. um, but have they said anything about sexual assault? I know one of the you know, girls' yeah. underwear wasn't found. Um, I know there was all sorts of things like that. What do they specifically know? I asked Detective Holman, this is, again, early on, not even two years after the murders. And he said, I asked about DNA. He said there were DNA. He said, but I'm not saying what kind, because okay. of course there's all kind. And um, I asked him, were they sexually assaulted? And he hesitated to say, but the, the consensus was it was a no. And again, mm -hmm. information coming, really not at all, yeah. if at all, yeah. bits and pieces. But Paul did say to me, look, the sexually motivated crimes don't necessarily involve sexual assault. And he said it's hard to understand unless you understand that mind right. and that it's sexually motivated. But how was the sexual, uh, him being a sexual predator? And again, Richard Allen, innocent to women guilty, but he believes it was a sexually motivated crime based on the crime scene, but it doesn't necessarily equate to sexual assault. I know what you're saying. Yeah. And it's like the it's control. It's complicated to say. The control, people, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And what I thought, and I asked this to Paul, he was 44 years old at the time. Now he's 50, so or 51 now. But mm -hmm. would someone wake up one day at 44 and do this? Or and he or said he may have been, or had he done it before? Had he done it before? Yeah. And he said, well, he could have fantasized about this, Susan. He lived very close to the bridge. Let's say he was down there all the time. Mm -hmm. He knew the kids had a day off from school. Yeah. Let's say he waited for the perfect target. He knew he wanted to murder, mm -hmm. but not necessarily who, right. because there was also speculation with catfishing and Keegan Klein. Right. And Anthony shots. And um, I've been on court TV several times. And Vinny's like, wait, that's it could happen because they trace back Libby to having communication with that Anthony shots profile mm -hmm. that looks nothing as catfishing does. Right. It was Keegan Klein the night before. Right. So could that be a coincidence? I they say, didn't yeah. find anything about um, Anthony Schatz asking her to meet the next day, did right, they? Right, right. But then when he was questioned by the authorities, he said, I was supposed to meet her, but she didn't show up, or to that effect. That's mm. not a direct quote. So could it be? And that's when authorities did reach out without saying much more, that if you had any interaction with the at Anthony Schatz profile, please let us know. Mm -hmm. And it had been five years. So yeah. think about young girls. They may not know or forget. If, yeah. And who had access to that handle? It, it turns out this was a former model. He's now a police officer, has two daughters. He feels horrible that his right. picture was used. Right. But it happens everywhere and all the time with catfishing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, Libby's grandmother said, you know, Susan, I feel like I failed. And this was on stage um, in Las Vegas at something called Crime Con, where people can connect and really get the story out there. And Paul did say to her, which 
I appreciate it because I could tell it was weighing heavy on her. Like, did I told her not to, that she was at risk, but maybe I didn't say it loud enough. And he said, predators are good at this stuff. Oh, yeah. They really are. Mm-hmm. They groom. And Abby and Libby did nothing wrong if yeah. they wanted to meet up with, which hasn't been proven, which there's no evidence of it. But they're young girls. They want to have fun. I mean, boys, who doesn't at 13 yeah, or 14? Yeah. And I mean, I interviewed Chris Hansen recently, and it was yes. very similar stuff that he talks about, that you have to really educate your kids. Because even when put in that situation, they kind of don't even know what they're getting themselves mm-hmm. into. You know, they're at that age where it's fun to meet a boy. Um, or fun to yeah. do all these things and kind of hide it from their parents or whatever. Yep. So there's a lot of education and that goes have on. And social media. And mm-hmm. my daughter, who just turned 14, um, I, I, I feel like I have to scare her. And maybe it's because I report on this all the time. I said, if you're meeting someone, chances are they're 40 and may kill you. Right. I, so I'm scarring her in another way. Right. Because you can never be, I think, um, too careful. And, you know, back to when... I was growing up and we were, my sister and I were playing outside in the back of our house. Um, Did we just hear about it less? I'm not sure. Mm. Um, But there was no indication that there would be a risk down there at the bridge. None. Right. It's very interesting because in the pictures you see, in the video you see, it's, it's so, um, you know, you think of these girls as such heroes that they Mm -hmm. had the wherewithal to say, this doesn't look right. Let me videotape this. Um, whether or not they were thinking in case someone needs to see the evidence later. But, you know, they knew that they felt it was important to get this kind of information and put it somewhere so they can, what you're saying, show their grandfather later or whatever. Um, So let's talk about the case now because it's gotten very chaotic. So Mm -hmm. it's been, what, about six years. Um, They have arrested somebody. You do a great job in the book of really, like, you know, keeping this all tied up and having it really flow in a way that's understandable. But there have been, as you said, so many parts that people do not understand because the truth really isn't out and probably won't come out until trial. Mm -hmm. So this guy's been arrested, Richard Allen. Everyone's hopeful, thinking that it's great. And by the way, let's talk about that for a second because I know that you've spoken a lot about the family and where they were when they found out where you were when you found out Mm -hmm. and you've mentioned that the family wasn't like oh my god hurrah let's jump up this is a great moment for us although great there's a lot of you know you know Mm -hmm. just silence at the same time and you know I understand that really well I lost my fiance and I remember when they said Osama bin Laden was killed and they you know someone a couple outlets wanted to interview me you know, thinking I would be, you know, very excited and, you know, and I was like, time doesn't heal everything. It never will. And this, that's great, but it doesn't bring back the person. And like you talk about, I didn't know my purpose. Like to this day, it's, Mm -hmm. it's hard to figure out why things happen and what your purpose becomes after the fact. Mm -hmm. But I think that's really interesting what you talk about because their purpose is so important because there are so many stories that don't get reported Mm -hmm. there are so many families that are um you know falling by the wayside because you hear about the victim you hear about the killer or who they're looking for but you don't hear about the families and i think they have such a big purpose um even more so now to educate um other people about different crimes or missing kids or you know um and and i just found it very interesting what you spoke about about their reaction you're right there is this um kind of obsession if you will with how many Ted Bundy specials have Mm -hmm. we seen or the Night Stalker that seems to be and I think people are are curious to are they born or raised killers so that there's a fascination there but right some of the families get left behind in all of this and I interviewed Becky several times I became closest with her and Libby's sister Kelsey Mm -hmm. and Mike did bring that up early on it was March and he said um 
you know, Abby's family isn't as outspoken. They want me to read a letter yeah. from them. Just to say we respect their way of doing things. Everyone handles grief and tragedy differently. And he said, please respect that. Uh, but Becky said to me for several years, year after year at Everon, she said, well, I'll tell you, I'm going to come to Atlanta and scream from the rooftops. And I believe that became her purpose. Mm -hmm. Every morning she'd post on Facebook, today is the day, knowing that one day it would be. Yeah. And I called her when I heard someone was arrested because no one had heard his name. No one was ever charged with the murders mm -hmm. except Richard Allen. So yeah. this, it felt like came out of nowhere. And it felt like they may have a lot Mm -hmm. They could have a lot on this guy, or they do because he's arrested, mm -hmm. and no one had been. And I, I could just, she was at her nephew's wedding, and she said, I'm walking out in the hall. It's what everyone's talking about. And she said, I'm, but I don't, I could tell something was sucked out of her that day, especially the next day when she was able to process it. Yeah. And we did a live show on Halloween um, 2002 to talk about it. She just seemed beaten down and and a different type of sadness. Yeah. And Paul brought this up, and in hindsight, looking back to that panel, he said, for law enforcement, he said, I've seen it personally. It's a whole different level here, and the justice system is not kind to victims or victims' families. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of tactics, like we were talking about early on, about the opening statements. That's a tactic, yeah. and, and that's allowed, and you don't have to prove it. Yeah. Um, so there was a gag order in this case to prevent that, and that's a whole other topic on this. But mm -hmm. Paul did say, you're going to need some help. You're going to need other family members maybe to lean on, people who understand exactly what you're going through. Right. Because, as you said, they're never coming back. Right. No matter who's arrested or who's not, the girls aren't coming back yeah. ever. And for Anna's family, for Abby's family, she was her only child. No more waking up early for school, no more planning anything. I mean, just gutted the Delphi was gutted, and those two families were, of course, just the what you're missing. And an arrest will – they felt better, of course, because their biggest fear was him doing this again. Yeah. Because if you could slaughter two young girls, you're going to – you're capable of anything. Doing it again. Yeah. So they felt good in that way, but it wasn't like, ah, oh, right. exhale at all. And it also brings up – you know, so many people probably assume, like, they want to have revenge. They want to get this mm -hmm. guy. and But I don't necessarily know that that's – how I felt watching or reading your book and mm -hmm. listening to a lot of stuff because it was more like a lot of people have given him fairness of, you know, Richard is innocent until proven guilty yeah, yeah. and they want to see what happened. We want to hear the details. I think that's going to be what's interesting um, when the trial does finally happen, yeah. if it happens, yeah. because there's been, let's talk about this. There's been so much chaos mm -hmm. from the beginning and from the out onset yeah. since he got arrested. Right. Can you walk us through kind of all the difficulties that yeah. have happened? He, he was arrested and he, he, he said he would hire counsel on his own. He then wrote a letter to the court saying, I, I didn't know it would cost this much, mm -hmm. essentially, and paraphrasing, I need appointed attorneys. So then he was given two attorneys. Mm -hmm. It's Rosie and um, it Rosie, it'll come to me. So two attorneys. But, Something with a B, I think. Yes. So <laughs> two attorneys were assigned to the case, and they started working on it. And they, they to the press, they put out this letter saying, Rick, uh, didn't do this. He maintains his innocent. Richard Allen calling him Rick. Was mm -hmm. that a tactic to say, oh, he's a friendly guy, Rick? Mm -hmm. That's what people called him. Baldwin is, is what it is. Yeah. And Rosie, it mm -hmm. came to me. So, and there was a gag order in this case. So Judge Frangal was assigned to it because the the judge who was in Delphi called it, said, use the term, and it's one of my chapters, bloodlust, meaning there's so much attention and so much, so many people wanting the documents. He, he said, I can't do this. It, it, people are putting up pictures of my wife. It was too much. Yeah. 
Fran Gull got the case. Now he's assigned attorneys. Well, you're allowed to file motions, of course. That doesn't that you can do that even with a gag order. And yeah. the motion they did, they um, claimed it was in a Frank's hearing that they said it was an unlawful search of his home because his home, Richard Allen's, was searched. Mm -hmm. And during that particular time in October before his arrest, he did say, yes, I did come out to the conservation officer. That was me. Yep. I did put myself there. So how did they get back to him, I'm wondering? Was right. it a tip from his wife or daughter? We don't know at this time. So they do a search of his home. Well, the two attorneys are doing what defense attorneys do. They're looking for either mistakes in the investigation, they're looking at the evidence that they have in discovery mm -hmm. and saying, in a Franks hearing, this was obtained illegally. Mm -hmm. Well, the Franks hearing was 136 pages. I think it was just a memorandum disguised as a Franks hearing, mm -hmm. really to um, just get around the gag order. And mm -hmm. just the Odinist cult theories were in there. This is the most bizarre thing you will ever read. And yeah. I've read through it all. And it's there's mistakes and there's, it, it seems like almost like chunks and i will say a defense attorney on court tv was saying to me uh now it appears there might be people who believe he's innocent and of course there are people who say well there's got to be more evidence mm -hmm. but in this memorandum they name names mm -hmm. and you can do that legally i mean you can name names and so it was leaked the 136 pages right and it worked right. because prior to that it worked so much i even forgot to tell you this big part that he was in prison and there were, um, the attorneys wanted him moved out of that prison because innocent were guilty usually in a jail, not that type of prison. They're yeah. saying he's treated like a, a war criminal. Of, it, this, he's not doing well. Mm -hmm. and, he's uh, lost a ton of weight. Yes. So yeah. they released a picture. But before that, and at a hearing, it was discussed in June that he had confessed several times mm -hmm. to his wife and mother. And everyone knows that it's recorded. It says it. I believe it was on, on a phone an, call. I, I, yeah, from jail. Or, yeah. Yeah. And so it was, they stated that in court, both the prosecution and the defense attorneys, that he admitted to this. So you think, okay, is this case closed? Is he, is there going to be a right. plea Where deal? Where are we going with this? And yeah. then all of a sudden this memorandum is released and everyone forgets about the confessions and everyone is looking at him like, yes, maybe he should be moved. And um, back to the defense attorney. So everything was released that was released in that apparently had been looked into. The Odinist theory was looked into early. Uh -huh. um, so everything apparently was looked into, but no one was arrested until Richard Allen. Mm -hmm. Well, this, I believe, was put there to create reasonable doubt, and I think it did. But do you think these guys, because they're court appointed, you know, they've been accused of being, you know, you know, basically horrible at their jobs, mm -hmm. complete amateurs, even it seems like by the judge who mm -hmm. ended up removing them. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that? Do you think that they were doing their job and a good job to try and get this out there, see what sticks and and it backfired? Like, what do you think happened? There? I think so. And then uh, apparently someone in Baldwin's office leaked crime scene photos right, and which that became a huge problem. yes that might have been the final straw mm -hmm. for the judge but there were cameras in the courtroom that day it was supposed to be a hearing on the frank's motion and the, sh the attorneys went back in chambers and now that transcript has since been released but depending on who you talk to because he did say okay i want these attorneys and the attorney said we'll do it for free pro bono right well the judge said no i can't have you on this case now is that why? up to her exactly? Right. Like, is it up to her? And so that's But it the seems argument. like it, she said that because she thought that they were negligent, correct? Is that yeah, where, yeah. where you got And that? they're fighting back. Two other attorneys were since appointed, yeah. but 
Rosie, Rosie, sorry, and Baldwin mm-hmm. still want to be on the case. So a hearing was set. It's it will take place in January, January. Um, to see if, and they even want the judge off the case. They said we yeah. want her off the case. Do you think they're not like? What do you think of these attorneys, the original attorneys? Um, I think that they should have saved the reasonable doubt that they were creating in that document for the opening statements. Mm-hmm. I think that where they can do that, you could try it yeah. um, in court, as you will, and that Johnny Cochran did so masterfully. Right. In openings in the courtroom. Yeah, they didn't save outside. much for mystery. Right. And, and jury selection hasn't even happened yet. Right. So it's it's was it negligent? I don't know. We'll see. Should it have been on record outside in the courtroom during that hearing? They said they didn't want to be embarrassed because there were in so many words, uh, cameras in that courtroom. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting what the Indiana uh, Supreme Court decides in January. I want what's ever best for Abby and Libby's families, and that may be starting with a new judge and new attorneys. Yeah, Has so much gone on. I agree. That, that if, if they keep Judge Gold and they get rid of the attorneys, it's it's could this be brought up on appeal? I don't know. But it's certainly everything Paul had said is is really happening in a way that I didn't even imagine could happen. Right. So and it's so interesting because Baldwin, one mm-hmm. of the attorneys, as you mentioned, somebody, a, a former colleague yeah. or friend came into his office, took pictures, mm-hmm. gave those to other people who then distributed online. And then someone ended up killing themselves over it when they right. were questioned. And the whole thing has just got co- totally gotten out of hand. Yeah. I, I even um, got so an email to say, do you want to see them? I said, no, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to see them. And what was very poignant to me is Becky put on Facebook because they're under a gag order too. I'm yeah. sure. Th- and I know that they found solace in telling their stories. I know yeah. that that helped them and they can't, and they're following the rules abiding by the gag order, but they did. She did post, uh, picture of Libby on a blanket and she says you know I take Libby everywhere with me on vacations and she said this is how we spend vacation with Libby how do you spend it and then she posted pictures of Abby and Libby and said these are the pictures you should be looking at oh mm-hmm. she's furious yeah and who would blame her I yeah. mean they're the the crime scene photos being leaked is unbelievable should should it have been a sanction in public by the judge probably mm-hmm. uh, I don't know in terms of technically what should be done, but the trial was supposed to happen in January. That was postponed until next October, mm-hmm. but they're fighting for that too, a speedy trial. In terms, So a lot could change at that hearing in January. Has anybody heard from Richard Allen's wife or daughter? No, immediately there was an influx to her Facebook where people wanted to find out who was this person um, and they found out he was married or who is this person and has a daughter, I think because we want to make sense of it. We never really understand why. Right. When you tell someone a story about what's on the news, they say, well, why would someone do this? Right. There's never a logical answer. And to the wife, why would they stay? Why or, would they stay? Or did they know? Right. You know, what, and what did they see? It seems like you would think, oh, the wife had to have known. But I, I don't I don't believe that. I've interviewed BTK's daughter several times, Carrie Ross, and she mm-hmm. had no idea. Mm-hmm. He would say, don't forget to put air in your tires and make her scrambled eggs and walked her down the aisle. She had no idea. He was essentially a yeah. good dad. And how do you even go there? Yeah. Even if the wife thought his behavior is weird, how do you go from a child killer, a double murderer, someone you thought you knew for more than 20 years, 30 yeah. almost? So I, I don't know if it's compartmentalizing or they're good at that. Right. There are some killers that we have seen in the past, serial killers, that are able to keep up a different life. Right. And I, I don't believe... Or when it's their family, it might yeah. 
you know, they might be empathetic to their wife a and their daughter person. and see them totally different than they see women. They're not like us. They 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 can do obviously compartmentalize and to be able to do it if he did such a horrific crime and then to go on living like nothing happened. Human beings can't really conceptualize that. I agree with that. I think people cannot understand, and that's why there's so many questions. I mean, even, you know, reverting back to 9-11 for a second, people were like, well, how could these people, you know, fly a plane into the building? But you're not dealing with somebody who He's, believes that life is um, something to value, and you right. can't argue with someone like mm -hmm. that, right? And also, we didn't have the, this is an awful word to use, but creativity to know that someone would come up with this kind of scheme. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we didn't have the creativity to know that the buildings would fall, you know, yes. structurally. And um, so you can't, you can't kind of look into someone's mind like that unless you really are someone that is built that way, yeah. I think. So it's, it's really different. So how are the families feeling now? How are they doing now, Libby um, and, and Because Abby's of family? the gag order, it, well, I do keep in touch with Kelsey mm -hmm. and with Becky and, but I don't ask about the case. I just say, how are you doing? Yeah. Okay. So there's so much that I want to know and I want to talk about with them, but I feel that should I not, is it, and that's been difficult, I would imagine, for them. But I interviewed um, Stacey Chapin. I know you know the college story about the four college yeah. kids and Ethan Chapin's mom. And we did a panel together, and I got to know her just by reaching out. And she handles this differently, of course, than the Gonzalez's family because they when you were earlier talking about like revenge or, mm -hmm. or aren't you excited about bin Laden? And I, I think everyone handles trauma differently. We saw that with Gonzalez, he'll be in court every single day. Mm -hmm. Stacy said to me, it's not gonna bring my son back. I'm not going to court yeah. to see this monster. It, so it's it, it all depends. And I think the way that Becky's family, Libby's family has, how it's helped them is to, to get out there and to talk, talk about, about it. Yeah. Abby's family, not so much. I, I did meet um, Abby's grandmother. She was on a panel with me, sorry, and her grandfather. So they're, they were willing to talk about it, but I, I don't think they got the support as Libby's family got, yeah. just the, the way of connecting. And I feel like it really, Kelsey told me that she feels like it did save her life, Crime Con, to meet Golden State Killer, the people who have been killed, family members, mm -hmm. who really understood what she was going through. Because we can say, I could say it, you know someone was murdered, your right. fiance. I don't, I could say, oh, I understand, I'm so sorry, but you really, it's a connection that no one else can feel. And I think Kelsey got that from connecting with others. Right, well, you do have a little bit of a connection to somebody in your family, your cousin mm -hmm. was, was murdered when yeah. you were younger, right? Can you talk yeah. about that a little? Yeah, I was 11 and it stood out to me. It's the key family, it's a distant cousin on my dad's side. Mm -hmm. And I just remember them having this wonderful big family and our good friend, Suzanne, my sister and I, would always talk about her sisters and how they hung around Kathy, Kathy Keith. And mm -hmm. I remember being in the kitchen back in the day with landlines and my dad was on the phone and he said, oh my gosh, they found her body. It was found near a dumpster. And my sister and I ran upstairs and my friend Suzanne told us what she knew and she was murdered and no one really talked about it. It wasn't discussed. And I, because of my age, she was yeah. in her 20s, I was 11, but we knew her stories and she lived in our neighborhood. Yeah. And so that happened and I remember at CrimeCon, like we're talking, I told um, Abby's grandmother that, mm -hmm. Diane, mm -hmm. and she said, well, you're part of the club. And I said, no, no. And she said, well, don't downplay your pain. Yeah. You can never downplay because mine isn't, quote, unquote, as bad. Maybe this is why you're helping. So that really clicked with me to think, oh, could it have been? Could I have remembered that? Because we did hear details through my friend Suzanne and 
now since I wrote this, and I checked, of course, with the Keefs, with Kelly, her sister, to see if I could put that in there. If she didn't want me to, I wouldn't. She said yes, and mm -hmm. she said she was crying um, reading it because she thought it, it, it was well done in terms of talking about their family. It wasn't, quote-unquote, salacious, if you will, because and she said to me, interesting, Susie is what she calls me, mm -hmm. we didn't really talk about it much either. So yeah. I think it, it's you don't expect this trauma and people handle it differently and what way works yeah. for each person, I don't know. And what is the correct way? I don't even know if there is one. Yeah, I'm curious how they're feeling about, you know, the upcoming trial. If they want more to just see him, you know, take responsibility, be put by, behind bars, or if they really want to know what happened. Like for me, I would want the answers. Mm -hmm. I would want to know what happened in those last moments, what was said, you know, to yeah. me, that would feel like closure. Um, you know, for some people, closure is they don't want to hear any of that. They don't want to yeah. see the pictures. They just want to know this person can't do it to anyone else. And I remember walking to the bridge vividly my first time there with Kelsey and just coming up to it, this massive structure and knowing what happened on that bridge. And I, I said to Kelsey, as we were near the front of the bridge, I said, do you know how the girls died? And she said, no, they're not telling us anything but I don't know if I really want to know. Mm. So I think she understood at that time and forever how frail, fragile she was in terms of self-blame. She dropped them off. Yeah. I wish I was meaner that day, or I wish um, that it wasn't as warm out. You, you go through this. Yeah. Like, could I have changed anything that day? Right. A and they can't, and that's a never-ending self-torture, I believe. Yeah, and there's two ways to look at it. You know, some people just want to have that memory of the person looking the way they remember. Once you've seen pictures yeah. like that, you can't unsee them, you know? Mm -hmm. So you want to remember your loved one um, in a way that you remember them. You yeah. don't want to hear the bad things. And then there's people that need to know every detail. Like for me, I've always grappled with the fact that I don't know what happened in those last few minutes and that mm -hmm. last hour, um, you know, with Andy. And that's always kind of haunted me only for the fact that I really wanted him to know that I found it, like he wasn't alone, you know? Yeah. And so when they did f eventually find his body about six months later, the first thing I said, you have to tell me the cause of death. Like I needed to put together, was he burned? Was he hit in the head? What, was he aware when the building fell? You know, so for me, that was super important. But for, you know, his family, they did not want to hear the details. At was all. he on the floor with the, with the financial group that where the plane? He was hit. in the second building that got hit but the first building that fell. So he was on the 104th floor. And so the first plane um, went in, um, you know, to Cantor Fitzgerald. Yes. The second um, plane went in lower in like the 70s on the floors in the 70s. Okay. So he was above it. So he was, um, you know, alive for a while until the building fell unless they got, you know, had smoke inhalation. But, you know, he was in the first bombing in 93 mm. and they were told My friend to Suzanne's father was, yes. And they played poker until, you know, and I imagine, because I was covering it, I was at Bloomberg at the, oh, that yeah. day and I was covering it for news and I wasn't nervous. I was like, well, he'll go upstairs to the roof, you know, mm. he'll, because again, there was no, we did not know those buildings would fall. Ever. I mean, I, I can remember, uh, I'm sure it's etched in your mind forever, but when the buildings fell, were they able to tell you the cause of death? Yeah, it was blunt force trauma. Oh, okay. I, I'm um, surprised. that That's a good thing for you to know, yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it helped me. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying. For me, it was it's helpful to hear the details. And sometimes when I watch these murder trials or these criminals, I want to, you know, I'm hoping for the sake of the family that they at least, you know, get the details they want 
if yeah. if they want it because to me that seems really important. And I said to Mike, who happened to, it came that he was kind of the, the speaker of, of both families, almost mm. put in that position. And I said and to him. And he's the one that found the bodies, right? No, it was a volunteer firefighter. Oh, okay. Yeah, they wouldn't even let Kelsey near they them wouldn't. once okay. they knew they found the bodies. Mm. And I said to him, what keeps you going? And he said, the last 15 minutes of their lives. Yeah. And I could tell he was almost thinking about it because he did see Libby's body. And now that we know, right, sharp object, they believe mm. a knife. And um, it's, and touching on that, only speculation and based on Paul's experience, it's rare that it's a double murder with a gun, but I believe that was the scare tactic to get them down and maybe pulling it back and there's the unspent bullet. Uh, I had to kind of dig into that a little bit in terms of ballistics and and will that, how will that play out in court? Of course, you know, covering these trials with the, it's usually a battle of the experts. Someone's going to say it's junk science. Someone else is going to say no. This is absolutely his gun. And there is speculation that there's more that they found at that house. And maybe there is more. Maybe that's why they felt they had to write 136 pages to get everything in that search warrant out and not brought into court. Right. Okay. So this book was amazing. I read it in a matter of 24 hours. Basically, I loved it. Um, But I, you know, what did you, you know, what was your takeaway writing something like this? For me, reading it, it was interesting because I wanted to know about the case, but it was also interesting seeing a news reporter's, you know, almost like your memoir of going through it and taking, um, you know, a story that much further, getting to know the people behind it, getting to be involved. Um, and even though you weren't personally involved in the case, you really were. You were invested in the case, and I thought that that really came through in, in the book itself. It was a fantastic well, thank book. thank you. And Becky said that to me, that it was different than she read it, and Kelsey wrote the forward, and she just said it was well done because it's from their perspective, yeah. from going inside of their lives and seeing everything in the highs and lows and, and kind of what they went through. What was important to me was describing or telling the reader Uh, more about Abby and Libby Mm -hmm. and I did that by I sat in my room for countless hours kind of feeling like Tom Hanks on that beach talking Mm -hmm. to a volleyball I was in there losing my mind but I wanted to make sure that I had the essence of Abby and Libby and I found that through various stories of course and video that I had seen through the years but on Facebook I found it really apparent with Libby and just I went through all of her posts with her aunt Tara Mm -hmm. and She'd say, she'd get into Tara's Facebook and say, Libby's my favorite Mm -hmm. out of everyone. So they had this kind of relationship and she was funny. And she made, she lived with her grandparents, but very close with her mom. And she'd say, uh, write her little notes or text messages. And she was funny and the kind one and silly because what we do see, we saw it with Scott Peterson, Mm -hmm. with Lacey, there's that one still shot. And I know times have changed in terms of social media, but we only see the wanted posters what you see Abby and Libby Abby has a hat on a straw hat and it turns out she uh, made that with her mom and it was she had just gone to or about to go to a wedding um, and that's where she wore that so it's it's more than just that still picture of oh this these are the victims it was more of the senselessness of it all Mm -hmm. of course any murder is but the the girls lives that they stole and several family members Mike included said that who knows they had so much more to give, and they were looking forward to their future, and he was teaching Libby how to drive up and down the driveway. So it's like this, the lives that were cut short, and the crater that's now left in the homes of those family members, yeah. essentially killing pieces of them mm. uh, because of this. So it is important, of course, for justice, but they 
do know. And Becky said to me, what does justice really look like, though? Because they're not coming back. It's not for the girls. They're not. It's, it's you want someone to pay for what they did, but they know it doesn't bring them back. And maybe handing out those flyers and a, a big part of contention with, with many people in terms of law enforcement, they came out with a new sketch in April 2019 mm-hmm. of and Detective Holman called me at that time and said, I saw the special HLN did, and you mentioned the FBI a lot. And I said, well, you're not telling us much. We kind of had that joking relationship. And he said, well, the FBI told us not to do it, not mm. to hold the press conference. And I went thinking, why? Yeah. Why? Was this a way, and again, speculation, because not everything's out there. Was it a way, because it had been two years, to say, okay, something new has to happen here. They invited everyone the size of this room to a press conference, a little bigger. And it's not always open to the public. Yeah. But they made you sign in, and the, this really nice volunteer lady kept saying, did you sign in, did you sign in? In hindsight, I think they thought he was going to show up. Mm. You know how people insert themselves. Yeah. Because the superintendent, Doug Carter, I was sitting, I mean, there were photojournalists behind me. You could hear the clicking of the cameras as well and he said we've changed direction we believe you're from Delphi we believe you live here once lived here and we also believe you could be in this room yeah and it was like (gasps) I mean if you saw it at home you'd think or in a movie you'd think this would never happen what is this it happened and I did a live show from that room for two hours and everyone kind of disappeared Mm -hmm. and again speculating were they looking at certain houses or what were they looking Mm -hmm. for I wonder um but the superintendent did say to me later, he did think that he was absolutely watching her in the room. And uh, I, I was a little afraid after, because everyone had cleared out. And I said that to a photojournalist, I'm kind of afraid. He's been, he's like, look, I've been around members of ISIS. You're, you're fine. And <laughs> yeah. they, they're hilarious, and they've seen everything. Sure. Seen and, I mean, they're the best of the best, telling stories behind a lens. Yeah. So I felt, okay, he's right, he'll protect me. But it was, it was an odd feeling, because again, the town is so small and you wondered they're still out there who is this and where is he hiding right and if it turns out to be Richard Allen not far about a mile away at CVS yeah at CVS filling everybody's prescription and for those listening this is and I remember Becky telling me this once Richard Allen was arrested and she had walked down the hall from her nephew's wedding and said oh my gosh Tara remembers him Mm. And you know how if you go to UPS or FedEx or CVS or what have you, you recognize maybe faces, sure. and especially that size. I live in Atlanta. I'm in a bit very different. But she went in there the day of the funeral to pick up pictures of Libby because to be a certain size, and yeah. she was crying. And he said, oh, the pictures are on me. Wow. And you know, she remembers that. Well, 2024, I think, will be a huge year for getting some understanding for this family and for the people that have been invested Mm -hmm. in listening to this. So in January, we have a a hearing coming up to find out if the um, lawyers will be put back on, if the possibly the the judge will be removed and it'll all start over. And then towards the end of the year, um, hopefully a real trial will happen. But it'll be very um, interesting to see what comes out from it and I'm I want to know if he's been watching the whole time you know right. what what he's done because he's been hiding in plain sight it'll be interesting to finally get that sort of intel on what he's been doing the last couple of years and and how much his direct family knew or felt yeah the family did say to me um look Susan we want the right person of course so mm-hmm. if this is the wrong guy then they want that proven too right but why close to six years when there were so many names as you spoke about that were brought up why now something 
must connect him, I think, bigger than the bullet. Yeah. And, and we'll see that in court. But I, I do believe whatever it takes, because everyone has the same mission, whether it's a different judge, same judge, different attorneys, same attorneys, mm -hmm. is let's get this going. Yeah. So it can be resolved. Resolved is a bad word in terms of it ever going back to the way it was, but some sort of justice. Yeah. Um, all right. So over the years, what are some other stories that you have been really taken by? I remember this is way back, and when I spoke about my first job as a reporter, besides the lawn bowling, the, the, the Samantha Runyon was, was taken and murdered, and I remember speaking to her mom, and of course, Polly Class. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've been of course. her father, becoming yeah. an advocate, mm -hmm. and just... Just talk about purpose. Yeah. That's what he I turned know. that into. Exactly. Yeah. So you really see, like, this is... That one act and this horrific a murder and, and him losing his daughter, it's almost as though that gives them strength, I have found, mm. through connecting. And that's why Abby's family, I believe, said to me, Diane said, don't dismiss your pain or lessen your pain because there is the common ground is something's happened to everyone, maybe not to this degree. It's happened to you. Mm -hmm. You've been able to connect with so many people. So it's it's a way of understanding what yes. someone's been through. And you can only get that if you've been through it. Right. So I think the stories that stood out to me were the ones that we see with Polly Class yeah. and, of course, um, Gabby Petito's family I've gotten close mm -hmm. to, Joe Petito. And he knows. He said this to me because you mentioned it. There's some cases that don't even get talked about yeah. for some reason. So why? And I was asked that question. I did a panel with him and his family. And they, they said, I don't know why we do understand that Gabby touched the world and that I don't know if it's because there were social media mm -hmm. or I believe it was the body cam footage and once someone yeah. said because I saw it differently I was in the newsroom then a colleague and friend of mine Sammy about young 30s guy and he saw it very differently than me I thought it was clear as day that she was being abused and calling out for help he didn't see it mm -hmm. so it's how you saw that and sure. so I think that really uh, played a role but since then the petitos have been working to get the not so known cases mm -hmm. or reported on cases known and he said that's my purpose right and he said I can't watch that body footage the body mm -hmm. can't he's watched pieces of it and he says I will if I have to but this was a, a couple years back he said I that's not the Gabby I knew and she hid stuff from us of mm -hmm. course as as girls do as domestic violence victims who it was assessed from that body cam footage that she had been going through this that he said it, I would fall into a deep depression if I thought what could I have done differently sure of course so I think the stories like that where the it's people that you you get to meet sadly through the most horrific circumstances that mm -hmm. have happened to them but to see the strength that they have to have and that plays out differently and no one's strong every every day no one yeah and he said, my darkest hours are ugly. So it's mm -hmm. it's how you can get up and keep going. And that's where I found my connection. And looking up to Abby and Libby's families, like if they can still be standing, mm -hmm. you can get through anything. Is there one case that's haunted you that you kind of want to follow up with and see where it's going? Or a case that you're following right now that you're really you know, waiting to see what happened or, or you're just so obsessed with it? Like for me, mm -hmm. that Lori Vallow. Oh, case yes. was so I was I could not get enough I of think that. I mentioned Vallow yeah, accidentally you said it when, you when I was talking Chad. about the attorneys the day Veller mm. yeah oh my gosh the yeah twists and turns there yeah I mean that story and I couldn't believe that people weren't connecting the dots you know first when her ex-husband died then the brother died then the wife died then you know all these things are happening and I'm like why is no one talking about this in the same breath and why is no one getting her right. you know I mm -hmm. I was just it was so infuriating Michael Lano's uh 
former colleague of mine laid it out perfectly. It was so confusing. Mm. And I had interviewed JJ's grandparents. That was horrific to see what they were going through. Oh, yeah, that I'm little sure. boy and what happened to him. And yeah. what stuck with me in the most devastating, gutting way was Chris Watts when we heard exactly how he told it. I mean, what do you believe, yeah. really? But that he tried to kill his two little girls once and they got up and then he killed them again? Or their speculation, were they dead prior? But I feel like the prosecutor in that case wanted the details out there mm. for whatever reason. I, I know that it was death penalty was off the table, so maybe it was a way to have prisoners hear about exactly how horrific this thing was. I don't know, but it yeah. was word for word read. And I was on the set with attorney Joey Jackson, who else was with me, um, former law enforcement. And I just, it really got to me. And I, I, it was covered by video, of course, and I had to point to Joey to keep to talk about this. Mm. And of course, Sandy Hook. I think anytime young kids are involved, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. it's it's jarring. It's, um, but right, the, the Lori Vallow. And when you're talking about Chris Watts, you know, that's that's an example. Uh, he was married to Shanann, yes. uh, who he killed because he was having an yeah. affair, essentially, and yeah. then put his two daughters in an oil rig. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was an example to me of how you never know what a murderer looks like. Yes. He was this that's handsome. That's a great point you know, energetic looking guy and people really wanted to believe him when he did, all, he, you know, he spoke all yeah. over the place about trying to bring her home and, you know, if we watch anything on the ID network, we always know to look at the spouse. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, they're check the family yeah. annihilators. Mm -hmm. There's no word for it because people think normal human beings, why not just get divorced? Well, yeah. they don't want that. They don't want any, they feel like, right. and that they annihilate the family and yeah. get rid of everyone in the family. And Right, with Chris Watts, and that was an excellent point you spoke about, because if it does turn out to be Richard Allen, monsters don't look like monsters. Yeah. It, it's, they don't look like Charles Manson, who I believe looks like, right. they don't. They could be the guy they who's living Bundy. next door. Yes, the yes. The guy that you're hoping will swipe right. on you on right. Bumble. And, and, one that, <laughs> and one that you get in his car on right. campus, he pretended to have a broken arm. Right. You believe I would him. have gotten in his car. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. like, wait a minute. And you're you're studying law and you seem right. charismatic. Right. It, it, he was great in court. Yes. It doesn't yeah. make you um, think, who do you really know? Yeah. And I think that's the most frightening part. Um, and I think people are fascinated by it in a way who are drawn to crime, not in for a voyeuristic way, but a way I believe, especially women, which is crime has 90% women, is a way of maybe protecting yourself or feeling like, well, how do we know? And are there signs? And we're always looking for them. Yeah. Um, one quick question, because I know um, Mark Garagos is trying to get a new trial for the Menendez brothers. What do you think of that? Oh, my gosh. So quick backstory. Grew up in New Jersey, um, and my sister and I played tennis with this tennis pro, Merrick. And uh, he was friends with the Menendez brothers oh, because, wow. of, you know, the Princeton connection. And mm -hmm. Merrick, and it was... Um, Lyle, the older one, mm -hmm. not uh, Lyle, stopped okay. by my house, came inside. My, this was weeks before the murder. My dad met him. We weren't home, my sister and I. Um, so that was always in my head when I follow this. But I I think differently now that I did back then. I remember the People magazine cover. And I went to high school in Princeton, and there was a Chuck's. That's what they bought, the wing place, Chuck's. Mm -hmm. And they bought a roll. But it never, it never made sense to me. And I was too young to really think thoroughly through this. And, of mm -hmm. course, gunning down your parents. They admitted to it. Yeah. But if they already had the wealth, why would they wouldn't murder their parents, what I believe now, mm -hmm. for money? They lived in that wealth. So right. why it's not the Rolex or the 
wings that they got. Now, I do believe that he was sex- Jose was sexually assaulting his kids, mm-hmm. um, and Eric time and time and time and time again. And I think when he was going to UCLA and they said, you have to, he said, you have to live here. I believe that he was a predator. Do I think it's okay to kill your parents? Absolutely not. They've been in prison more than 33 right. years. I think it's time that they get let out. I, I, that's my opinion on it, and I do believe as a society, we're more willing to see this abuse or it's understand it. Uh, yeah, instead of Georgia Armani suits on the cover of people saying murder in Beverly Hills. Yeah, I fell into it. I read it. I understand that, of course, it's not right. But I think what played into that was um, OJ yeah. walking, and there was a kind of a bone to pick in terms of they can't lose another case. The yeah. prosecutor. So, um, but I do believe that abuse took place, and I recently spoke to. Um, gentleman behind the documentary that was recently released on Peacock about Menudo. Oh, and, right. And, and one of the brothers, came up and I reached out to him and he said, thank you. And I, he's been, he covered both cases and just uh, uh, really, I mean, ha- talks to the brothers constantly mm-hmm. and uh, really wants to uncover, he believes, based on his reporting, that there was more abuse mm. by Jose. More young kids, yeah, not just more, his own. Right. And I think just the Menudo, the one Menudo member who came out and said, no, I was sexually abused by Jose, mm-hmm. I, I think that should be, should play in, and I, and I hope it does. I hope they're let out. Yeah. That's a case I have been obsessed with and following because of how it's turned. Yeah. Maybe the knowledge that we have. They pled, they said they did it, yeah, and they right. explained why. I don't think looking at them, speaking of how murderers look, that it was just, and the evidence that wasn't allowed in mm-hmm. by the cousins and the, the, and the letter. Yeah, yeah so I believe that, that 33 years that they should be let out based on what Or at I least given a new trial to see. To them. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to hear all of the evidence. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's too bad that Nancy Grace isn't on every night anymore because she always had a new story for us oh, to follow always. and obsess and, with. And hot <laughs> mom and... I mean, Jody Arias, seven, we covered that. Oh, and yeah. The interest was there, 17 days on the stand. You know, and just, it's, it's what are people capable of? Why do they do it? And how much this guts everyone around them. And, and that's another example of how murderers don't look like murderers because Jody was this pretty right. girl, right? That you would, why would she kill Travis Alexander, have her camera with her? And luckily, pictures were on that camera. Yeah. But Nancy's, you know, team was so good at picking oh, so out good. such good stories. I remember, I don't know if you remember this name, Jasmine Fiore. She was, um, she had married in Vegas a guy who had been on some reality show, and she was missing, and they ended up finally identifying her through her um, boob job, and he had taken out her teeth, and um, and she was missing, and then he went on the run and ended up killing himself. But Nancy was so obsessed with this story. And- and I was obsessed with this story because I was obsessed with Nancy. But mm-hmm. when I first moved to Vegas, Jasmine came to me and asked to rent a room for me. And <gasps> she said she was a real estate agent. She wasn't. She was, you know, I found out later she she was a little more than that in Vegas and right. um, got herself into some trouble. So she ended up leaving, you know, my house. But, but knew um, I knew her. And to watch Nancy with someone that I knew really drew Surreal. me in and I you know could not stop following just on all her shows you know we couldn't yes. stop following everything she spoke about and, and she coming from her experience and talking about connecting and having her fiance yeah killed I believe that she had a rare connection of 
of wanting. Oh, yeah. She was almost. She wanted the truth. To get the bad guy. She wanted yeah. the person to pay who did this. Yeah. And, and she an, had a lot of. Yes. You felt that anger coming through or that unresolved, you know, like we've got to get to the bottom of this. She, or she wanted it. to make yeah. people aware of the story. Yeah. Because what was so important, she did such a good job, especially with, um, with uh, the top mom situation. Yes. But she would always talk about Kaylee. Is that the mm -hmm. kid's name? Um, and always show those pictures. I remember those videos. And she did a great job of really having you remember the person while you're listening to the, all the gruesome details. But that's also why, you know, I, for now 23 years or whatever it's been, have continued, you know, people will ask me the story about 9-11. Everyone's heard it a million times, but I love to share the story because I want people know, to know Andy's name so that he, you know, he didn't die 23 years ago. People really felt like they knew him, and that was always important to me and so many you know over time people will be like why are you still talking about this Ooh, well it's in no. my bones but it's, also it's, it's not about are. me right they, you know people think that when I'm talking about it I make it about me I do it so people know his name and so he's not forgotten that's and, um, judgment that shouldn't be given because no one knows exactly what it feels like to be you to go through that yeah. we've all seen the picture of you devastated looking for him it's horrific there's no timeline to get over you never get over it there yeah. is no timeline and that was Becky's biggest fear, that the girls would be forgotten. She said, Susan, it's little things. I got the insurance card, her dental insurance. Her name wasn't on there. Mm -hmm. And she said, I don't want people to forget her. Yeah. So they did build this Abbey and Libby Memorial Park. It started as an idea for like a softball field, and now it's mm -hmm. an amphitheater. And People can go donate there, and you could uh, have a personalized paver for even Andy, someone you think about. And it's yeah. just a way that, okay, they won't be forgotten. Right. Their pictures are there. So the families were able to connect. And quickly here, there was a, a gentleman early on in the process, all volunteers. He showed up with this huge tractor, and he was in, and he was helping. And Abby's grandfather was thinking, Eric, who is that guy? Like, he's doing a lot, but we don't know who he is. And went over, and he said, my brother was murdered 30 years ago. We never found out who did it. Uh, so he was helping. So that's, I believe, in, in the way humans connect and mm -hmm. heal through each other. Mm -hmm. They can, without judgment, without uh I mean, it's just sick of what can go on, the lowest of the lows. You can hide behind nothing, not your picture on YouTube, and speculate that the family had something. I mean, that's just asinine for clicks. Yeah. But there, there's a side of this that I've met and I've seen firsthand where they connect, and there's lifelong friendships, and I believe, holding each other up. Yeah, yeah. Will you be at the trial next year when it eventually happens? Yep. I'll be at the hearing in January. Oh, good. So I'll call you after. Oh, good. I can't wait to hear. Where can people find your book? Ooh, Amazon, mm -hmm. Barnes and Noble, and um, stores near you. But the yep. easiest way is Bezos, where I get everything these days, don't we all? This is the book, you guys, down the hill. You should you should absolutely try it, um, read it. You will go through it in very quickly. It was phenomenal. It was so great seeing you. Thank you so much Thanks, for being Rachel. here. So and good. hopefully I'll have you on soon because I would love to have your take on different trials that come up too yes. because it's so fun to get your thoughts on it. And so many times I think people have a hard time with news these days because there's not enough information and, and you turn on all the stations and they're regurgitating the same information over and over and over. Even in the Gilgo Beach um, stuff, you know, people were just making up stuff and just repeating it. Yeah. And it'll be nice to sort of push that forward, especially into 2024 and hear some of the details that have happened. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear the details on what happened, you know, on this later on with you and some of the other um, yeah, trials the that might be coming up. I'm thinking yeah. of Stacey Chapin, of course, mm -hmm. Koberger, and so there are trials that it will be interesting um, to see. And speaking of that, just really quickly, I had Mark Garagos on, and I asked him about um, Brian Koberger. Yeah, is that how you say his name? And he thinks, from a criminal defense perspective, he has a good case. 
So it'll be interesting to see what they, you know, what defense they give him. Right. And but Mark, part of that Mark knife, thought, yeah, and Mark thought, you know, there's a way out for him. So it'll be Ooh. interesting. I know if anyone knows, it's Mark. We'll see. And, yeah. and that, of course, can happen during the trial. But where I believe the mistakes were made with um, Richard Allen's former attorneys were it, it's being played out to the public and yeah. picking the, jurors the jury is yeah. going to be tough. It gets more difficult as we have more technology. We're on our phones. Mm -hmm. uh, we see everything. So I, I just want it to be a fair trial. Yeah. I'm always hoping I'll be picked for a trial like that. But of course, I'm the last person they'd pick because <laughs> right. I read too much about it. And now it, that you said it, you're not going to be picked. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, but you could be fair no matter what, I believe it. Yeah, I would try <laughs> to be. All right. Well, thank you so much. Again, Thanks, everybody get her book, Down the Hill, um, and we will have you on again soon. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you so much for listening to Misunderstood. I'm your host, Rachel Yucatel. Please be sure to subscribe to the show and give us a five-star rating and review. You can support the show by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. Do you have ideas for the show or want to reach out? Email us at info misunderstood podcast at gmail.com. That's spelled M-I-S-S -S, understood. Thank you so much and I'll see you next time. Misunderstood.